Uh, we're going to talk this morning, after last week we learned who God is, I really feel impressed for this morning to talk about what God cannot do. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to do a lot, we're going to see a lot of scripture this morning, okay? So uh, I encourage you, if you if you see a, an ink pen in the seat in front of you, you might want to grab that and write some of this down because we're, we're going to cover a lot of scripture today. Because as I was making my notes, I was like, oh, I, I could include this scripture. Oh, I could include this one. I could. And before I knew it, I had a list of scriptures with longer than my notes to go along with them. So uh, we're going to cover a lot this morning. Before we get into that, let's pray. Blessed are You, Lord God. Father, You are great, You are mighty, You are powerful, O Lord. You are gracious and merciful. Blessed be Your holy name, O Lord. Father, we we honor You today. We magnify You. We exalt You and You alone, O Lord. In this place, in our hearts, in our minds, Lord. Father, we thank You so much for Your presence here with us. We thank You, Lord for the great time of worship we had this morning. We thank You, Father, for all that You do, Lord. Thank You for sending us Your Word, Lord. Thank You for, the God, the times and the seasons and the days and putting the sun into place, God, and and all these great things You've done for us, Lord. Most things that we take for granted, Lord, they all come from You. So, Father God, we just thank You and we just praise You today, Lord God. Father, we honor You. We, we, we want all of our focus, all of our attention on You this morning, Lord God. Because, Lord, we know that Your Word tells us that You is that good Father that gives good gifts to His children, Lord. That anytime two or three are gathered in Your name, it says You're right here in the midst with us. So, Father, if You're here and You have good gifts that You want to give to us, we come expecting to receive something from You today, Lord. Father, myself included, I know that I have a plan, I have notes, I have an idea. But Father God, I want Your Holy Spirit to take precedence over any of that, Lord. Father God, I want only the words spoken today are the words You want spoken. I want only the words heard today be the words You want to be heard today. Because Father, I know that Your plan and Your way is so much greater than anything I could ever come up with. So Father, we concede control to Your Holy Spirit for this day, Lord. We want Your will be done here and now, just as it is in heaven, Lord. We thank You, Lord, because we know that You promise us time and time again in Your Word, Lord, that Your Word will not return void, but it will accomplish what You sent it to do, Lord. So we know as Your Word goes out today, Lord, that it will accomplish what You have planned for it. And we thank You, Lord God, that we're going to see a change in our lives, we're going to see a change in our thinking, Lord, we're going to know You a little bit better at the end of this time than we did at the beginning. Because that's just how great You are. So we thank You and we praise You, Lord God. Father, I I ask, before we get any farther, Lord, I ask for Your forgiveness for any sin or anything that may be hindering my relationship with You, Lord. I want to be a clean vessel worthy to be used by You, Lord, so that Your Word can flow freely this morning, Lord. I don't want anything that could hinder my relationship with You, Father. Forgive me, cleanse me from my unrighteousness, Lord God, because Your Word tells me that if we confess our sins, Lord, that You are faithful and You are just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness, Lord. I stand on that promise, Lord, that You cleanse me from my unrighteousness so that I can be that clean vessel today, Lord. I thank You so much for Your grace. I thank You so much for Your mercy, Lord. I thank You that Your Word reminds me that You are rich in mercy. You don't have to ration it out. You don't ever run out. You don't ever tell us, I can't give You mercy because I have to save it for somebody else. But You are rich in mercy for us, O Lord. Thank You for Your mercy, Lord. I thank You for Your grace. I thank You, Lord, for all that You do. I thank You for all that You are to us, O Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now, before we get too far into this, uh, I would like to talk just a minute, if I can keep my mouth from being dry. Uh, Wednesday night, if you were here Wednesday night, Pastor was talking about uh, a little bit about Sunday school, about the importance of Sunday school. And the reason I wanted to bring it up is because it was such, I don't know, such an encouragement to me, I guess. Or it, well, let me see, what's a better way to put that? Uh, it, it challenged me because I'd never thought about Sunday school the way he described it Wednesday night. Because he talked about Sunday school as being the original small group. Or, or life group, or home group, or, or uh, whatever term your generation calls those. Uh, but it makes perfect sense, right? Because if you have a home group or, or a small group, first of all, you have to figure out somebody's house to go to, right? Some place to have it. But if you have Sunday school, we already have designated space for Sunday school, right? We have a time designated. But then a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of people worry about joining uh, a life group or a home group because because of the child care issue. A lot of people they they don't want to have it in their house because they so when people are gonna bring their kids over here and you know they're gonna tease my dog and tear up stuff and I don't want them to do that. But but see in Sunday school we have built in child care, believe it or not, and not only just child care but they're actually teaching your kids about Jesus too, right? So. I don't think you could ever overstate the importance of Sunday school. And the reason I brought it up is I know we have a lot of a lot of uh, relatively new people. A lot of new people have joined us, uh, and so I want to encourage you if you're not in a, if you haven't found a Sunday school class yet, I encourage you. Uh, we have three adult Sunday school classes. Well, four really. Plus, we have a, a class for the youth, the children's church, the nursery. Whatever age you are, there's a class for you. Uh, I know a lot of people, the past couple of weeks you hear a lot of people go on and on about how great Roy is when, when they hear Roy pray or when they hear Roy talk. Here, here's a great thing for you. Roy teaches the Sunday school class. <laughs> so if, if, you, if you love that, then in the fellowship hall, in the big fellowship hall, Roy has a class there. You can sit with him and Get to hear them every Sunday, not just not just with communion or not just special occasions, right? Every Sunday can be a special occasion, if you like Roy. I kind of feel left out because I teach a class, so I don't get to be in Roy's class. So I'm I'm still kind of bummed about that, but that's that's the cross I have to bear. So uh, that's that's the way it goes sometimes, but. But let's look at the flip side. Maybe, maybe you're one of those people that have you've found the sweet spot in the sanctuary for Sunday morning, right? You found that one chair where it's not too hot, but it's not too cold. It's not too loud. It's not too soft. It's it's that one perfect spot, right? And you want to sit in that chair any chance you get. There's a Sunday school class that meets here in the sanctuary. So you can come here an hour before everybody else and claim that seat before anybody else can, right? So, but a side note on that, if you find one of the warmer seats, if you could let me and my wife know because we freeze to death most Sundays. So, uh, I'm, I debated on whether or not to wear long sleeves this morning, but I thought, well, being up here, I'm slightly elevated, so warm air rises, right? So it should... In theory, it should be slightly warmer up here than it is for you guys. So, I'm blessed to be up here and to be able to wear short sleeves and not freeze to death. But no, all, all joking aside, all kidding aside, Sunday school is so vitally important. Because Sunday school, we have the opportunity to not just listen, but we have the opportunity to discuss God's Word. We have the opportunity to... Uh, hear other perspectives. I can't tell you how much I have learned from the other people in our class since I started teaching Sunday school. 
And I've, I've told them before uh, that the motivating factor for me to teach Sunday school is because I get to learn more about Him in that process. I, I enjoy teaching. Uh, most people tell me I'm somewhat good at it. Uh, but I don't, that's not why I teach Sunday school. I teach Sunday school because I get to learn more about, about Jesus in the process. So, it's a, it, it's something that I think is, is, is super important. And let, let's be honest, I think right now most of our Sunday school classes run about six or eight people each. Sometimes ten. I know uh, the Thomas's class is a little bigger than everybody else's because everybody likes them. But <laughs> for it seems like my class keeps getting smaller and smaller, even though we're in the biggest room. So I, I don't have any any evidence of it, but I think people are sneaking back into their uh, marriage class uh, because uh, it's a wonderful class. So please. I encourage you, give it a shot. Uh, like I said, we have several classes, so you can uh, try different ones and see which one you like better, uh, which one you feel most comfortable in, you, you connect better with the people, and, and you, you can't go wrong with it, trust me. So, that was a little free lesson there I'm not going to charge you for. Uh, so now let's get into our, our, our real lesson, shall we? So... We're talking about what God can't do. And I know a lot of people, when you hear that phrase, your thought immediately goes to the words of Jesus where He says, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Right? And that is absolutely true. Thank you very much, sir. And that is absolutely true. But the flip side of that is that God chose to limit himself by his word. Okay? And I think as we go through this, you'll you'll begin to see what he did, and you'll begin to see kind of, I don't know if we'll be able to see why, but we'll get to see that, that God chose to do that. So as we look in 1 Peter chapter 1, our first point is obviously God cannot go against his word. Okay? That's, that's something that every believer needs to have settled in their heart, okay? God cannot go against His Word. So, 1 Peter chapter 1, chapter 1 verse 23, he says, "...having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God which lives and abides forever." Verse 24, because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now, if your Bible is like mine and it has verse 24 kind of with a funny indention on it, that's because that's a direct quote from Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8. He says the same thing, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So, if God tells us in His Word that His Word endures forever, He, he limits, he, he almost like He puts Himself in a box, right? He, he limits Himself to the boundaries of His Word. He won't go against His Word. In Psalm chapter 89, verse 34, God says, My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Now see, people, when people hear you quote verse like that, they, alright, amen, I, I, I agree with that, I, I accept that. But do we truly believe that? Do we pattern our life after that principle? That God's Word does not change and He will not break His covenant? That's the question. Think about it. Do you truly believe that you are saved? 
Most people, yes, I, I believe I'm saved. I'm, I'm, that is settled in my heart. You cannot talk me out of my salvation. Absolutely. Why do we believe that? Because the Word tells us that. Because the Word tells us that anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right? The Word tells us that in John chapter 3, verse 16, the verse we all know, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Right? That whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Right? He tells us that over and over and over again. But see, if, if we're so settled on our salvation, because the Word tells us our salvation is sure, then why are we not so settled on the other promises in Scripture? Right? The Word tells us that Jesus bore the stripes on His own body on the tree for our healing. Right? And that by His stripes, we were healed. So there's more than one verse on it. Our healing is paid for by the cross, right? But how many people are talked out of their healing? The promise of healing is the same as the promise of salvation, is it not? So why is one promise more important to us than another? Or why does one promise hold more weight than the other? Right? You know, it's funny because if... If you're talking to somebody and you say, you know what, I, I just I just don't know if I'm saved. I'm just I'm just not really sure. You tell that to another believer, oh no, 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 honey, your your salvation is secure. Your it's been settled in heaven, it's already done. Jesus paid the price. You don't have to worry about that. Right? We we definitely encourage one another in that aspect. But yet if you if you tell another believer, you know, I've, I've really been struggling with this depression, I've really been struggling with this, this addiction or this, this illness, this sickness, what do we usually hear? Oh, well, honey, you know, God works in mysterious ways. Well, honey, you know, you know there's, there's other people that have it worse than you, so you, you, ought to be, you ought to just learn to be okay with that, right? Why, why, do we treat, why do we as believers treat it differently than our salvation? Both for ourselves and for when we're talking to other people. Why do we treat it differently? But see, that's the thing. This is, this is the linchpin of all of the Christian faith. Do we believe the Word or do we not? Right? That's what it boils down to. Because the Word is what tells us who Jesus is. The Word is what tells us what our faith is. The Word is what tells us how He's involved in our life. So why do we, why do we believe one Word more than another? Here, let's let's come down here because it's funny. How many how many people here show of hands remember middle school math class? You might remember that. Wow, more than I thought. A few of the middle schoolers do, not all of them. But in in middle school, I remember learning of the transitive property of math. A, a big fancy sounding word, isn't it? The transitive property of math tells us that if a equals B, and if B equals C, then A equals C, right? It sounds, I mean, it sounds pretty common sense, right? But they, they, they make it nice and clear and simple. So if you think about it, if one dollar bill equals a dollar, and if four quarters equals a dollar, and if four quarters equals ten dimes, then ten dimes equals a dollar. Is that? I mean, are we all on the same page, right? Okay. I, I like to use. I, I'm a finance guy, so obviously my mind goes to money. But the point is, is that we it it explains if we use the same principle with scripture. Okay. I believe the word because the word tells me that I'm saved, right? So. 
if the word is true, because the word tells me I'm saved, well, the word also tells me I'm healed. So that means that if the word is true and I'm saved, then I'm healed. It's it's all equal, right? But yet it's not equal to us. And it's it confuses me when I think about that. Because we have a tendency to elevate certain parts of Scripture over other parts of Scripture. Right? We talk about we talk about the gospels and we talk about the the teachings of Jesus and the, the stories of Jesus and the healings that Jesus did. And we say, oh, that's, that's wonderful. I, I believe that. I, I love that. I, but then we get to the part where it talks about how we have responsibility in the body of Christ. And in, in our Sunday school class, we're in, we're in the book of Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter 3, it talks about how we have a responsibility to encourage one another. But I wonder how many of us don't quite elevate that piece as much as we do everything else, right? So, when we understand that every bit of the Word is God's Word, and every bit of the Word is settled in heaven, God has... He gave us His Word to tell us who He is, right? And to tell us what He's like. To let us, give us the ability to get to know Him. Right? So, if He tells us, this is who I am, this is what I'm going to do, then we can stand on those promises that He's not going to change His mind. He's not going to wake up grumpy one day and decide not to answer your prayer, even though His Word says He hears our prayers. Right? He's not going to wake up one day angry and grumpy and say that, well, I just don't feel like saving anybody today. I just don't feel like healing anybody today. No, because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? He doesn't change. He, he gave us His Word to show us who He is. And he, he tells us in His Word, this is who I am, this is how I behave, and I'm not going to change. Because if he were to change, that would mean that he wasn't perfect to begin with. Because you can't really change, you can't improve perfection, can you? So, if he changed, then he wouldn't have been perfect. But see, if when we begin to understand these things, when when we make a conscious decision to say, I believe the Word of God... I believe every part of the Word of God. I believe that God's Word is true. I believe God's Word is absolute. I believe that God's Word tells me how to live the life that He's called me to live. I believe that everything He says in His Word that He will do, I believe by faith that He will do it, it changes the way we live our life, right? It'll change the way we pray. It'll change the way we share the Gospel. It'll change the way we share our testimony. It'll change fundamentally every aspect of our life if we can grasp that His Word is true. And we can grasp that His Word will not change. And He cannot go against His Word. Why can He not go against His Word? Because He can't lie. Plain and simple. Now before we go into why He cannot lie, He cannot go against His Word. I'll give you a couple more verses that we don't have time to go through. Matthew 24, 35, and Psalm 89, 34. So write those down, and then this afternoon, look those up and, and see that God tells us over and over and over and over and over again in His Word that He will not go against His Word. And he will not go against his word because he cannot lie. Now if you turn to Numbers chapter 23. I know you don't normally 
see preachers go into the book of Numbers on a Sunday morning service. Because Numbers is, is one of those that just lists a whole bunch of names and, and all kinds of stuff. So, uh, if you're unsure, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Book number four from the front, okay? I'll give you a few minutes if you have to go to the table of contents and find the page number, that's okay. Uh, no judgment from this end. We're going to Numbers chapter 23. And you know, it, it's funny. It's, it's funny because I, I was, like I said, God, God gave me this, this topic last Sunday. So I was studying some each evening of the week to, uh, to be ready so it wasn't like, you know, Saturday night, um, cramming like, like you do in school for a test or something. So, but I, I, I didn't come across this verse in my study. What I normally do is I'll, I'll read one chapter, uh, first thing in the morning. And that's, that's just my personal time with the Lord where I, I read one chapter and, and that's, that's how I start my morning. And I think it was Thursday morning. I read Numbers chapter 23. So, I thought, well, thank you, Lord. This this just goes right along. I'll even use this in my message Sunday. So, Numbers chapter 23. It's always so wonderful to me when I see how encouraging God is through through all that we go through. So, Numbers 23, verse 19. This is the... How many remember Sunday school? You learned the story of uh, Balaam and the donkey. You remember that? The... That's where this is, Numbers chapter 23, okay? So, Numbers 23, verse 19, says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said it, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Jesus tells us in John chapter 17, verse 17, He says, Sanctify them through thy truth, Thy word is truth. Right? Now, like I said before, if, if God were to change what His word says, then that would mean that His word wasn't perfect and complete and whole on the front end. Right? Which would mean that God is not perfect, or God is not all-knowing, or God is not all-powerful, God is not sovereign, that, that that would mean that God is a work in progress, right? And if, if, our, if your God is a work in progress, you have some big problems, right? I, I, don't, I don't see how anybody could even even if you just take a look at at our planet and think that however this happened it was not done by a perfect being just blows my mind that you could think that our god is perfect our god is complete our god is whole he is sovereign he is all knowing he is all powerful right his word tells us that and he's shown us that through History, He's shown us that through nature. He's shown us that through uh, everywhere you look, right? The, the Bible tells us that all of creation is, is groaning for the return of Christ. Because all of creation was created by God, right? Just like we were. But think about it. What... If, if, if God could lie, what would that mean for us? Because think about it. How, how do you feel when you find out you've been lied to? You feel betrayed, right? You feel hurt. One thing that, that 
always was kind of a uh, a sticking point for me, especially like especially when your kids or, or kids try to lie to you. Uh, well, what always bothered me is because if if somebody's lying to me, that means that they think they're smarter than I am, that they can know what is true and what is actual. They can tell me something different and I'll believe it, right? So that means that if, if you lie to me, then you think you're smarter than I am. Which, granted, the majority of adults probably are. But when like a six-year-old tries to lie to me, that's, that's irritating, isn't it? When, when you have a little kid think they're smarter than you are, right? So, it's, it's annoying, it's, it's frustrating, but it's hurtful when you're lied to, right? You feel betrayed, you feel like you, you lose trust in somebody. You feel like, well, if, if you lied to me about that, what else are you lying to me about, right? If I can't believe this thing you said, why should I believe this thing you said, right? If, you're, if God lied to us about our healing, why should we believe Him about our salvation? If God lied to us about our deliverance, why should we believe Him about anything else he says, right? The Word tells us that he put the seasons into place. If he lied to us about our deliverance, why should we believe that the seasons are going to continue to be the way they are? Why should we believe him when he says the world will continue to turn, right? That tomorrow's a new day. Why should, why should we believe him when Jesus tells us he's going to come back? Why should we believe Him when He says He's going to accept us and, and gather us together as one big happy family? If He lied about anything else, how do we know He's not lying about that, right? But see, the, the tricky part about this is a lot of times there's a big lag of time between when God promises something, and when God fulfills that promise. And in the middle of that, we have a tendency to think, well, God forgot about me, or God changed His mind and decided not to heal me, or decided not to deliver me, or decided not to hear my prayer. He, he got tied up with somebody else. He got too busy. There, he's got bigger fish to fry than me, Right? He's got bigger problems. He's got bigger things to deal with. So we lose our hope in the middle of that. We lose what we've been holding on to. But see, He tells us in His Word of multiple promises and a lot of them, he even tells us and shows us where he answered them and when he answered them. And the, the problem that we have as believers today is we tend to sanitize the Word of God when we read it. Uh, we got to remember these were just regular people, right? That we hear about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Joseph, Moses, David, Solomon, these were regular people, right? But we have a problem. We, we talk a lot about in Sunday or in our Sunday school class, we talk about a lot about how uh, we have a tendency when we read Scripture to think that everything we read all just happened one right after the other, right? Uh, sometimes you read, you know, chapter 1, verse 1. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, in my mind, I think, okay, well, if verse 1 happened on Monday, verse 2 probably happened on Tuesday, right? So by the time you get to the end of the chapter, you're like a week and a half later after the first verse. And you think, well, of course they believed in the promise because it was answered three verses later. That was like three and a half days, right? That's no big deal. But... That's not always the case. There's the last time we come across this in our Sunday school class, there's a there's a verse in the book of Acts 
where it's talking about the Apostle Paul. And it says that after he went to Damascus, you know, uh, got saved, got healed from his blindness, it says that he went home to Tarsus, and then the next verse has him out preaching. But we don't read until later that there's like a three-year gap between those two verses. That if you don't dig and study and learn, you'll miss that. And you'll think, oh, well, Paul got saved on Monday and he was out preaching the gospel on Tuesday. There's, it wasn't quite that way. But let, let me show you a couple things. First of all, uh, Abraham was 75 years old when God promised him descendants enough, as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, right? After about 12 years... He waited 12 years before he got impatient and Ishmael was born. Okay? It was another 13 years after Ishmael was born that Isaac was born. Abraham waited 25 years for God's promise to be fulfilled. We, I don't know about you, but I'd never really put that together. So, you think, you hear people talk about Abraham and they talk about Abraham got impatient and then we have Ishmael and then all, all the result of that and everybody thinks, man, why couldn't Abraham just be more patient? The, the dude waited a decade, man. Cut him some slack. I mean, how many of us have had to wait years for God's promise to be fulfilled, right? How are we doing on time? Side note, you know the story of the story of Abraham? You know there was two different times that Abraham lied about Sarah, right? He said, she's my sister, not my wife. He did that two different times. And the, why did he do that? The Bible says he did that because she was so beautiful, right? He was afraid that they would kill him and take her as his wife. The first time he did that, she was 60 years old. The second time, she was in her 80s and probably pregnant with Isaac at the time. So, that really doesn't have anything to do with the lesson this morning, but it just struck me as as interesting, I guess. Use that information how you will, but... uh, Joseph... Joseph was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery by his brothers. Remember, remember why he was sold into slavery? Because he kept telling them he had all these dreams where they would bow down to him and they would serve him and his parents would bow down to him. And, uh, you know, he wasn't exactly the most favorite person at the family reunion, okay? So, uh, they got tired of hearing it and they sold him off into slavery. He served in Potiphar's house. Remember, he was sold into slavery and he served as a servant in Potiphar's house. He served there at least 10 years. Probably longer, more likely 11 years in Potiphar's house. Spent two years in prison and spent 10 years as overseer in Egypt before his family ever came to ask for grain. So if you add all that up, that's at least 22 years after he had the dreams that God fulfilled those dreams. King David was anointed as king over Israel as a teenager. He waited roughly 15 years to be crowned as king of Judah. Remember, at this point in history, Israel was split into two nations, Israel and Judah. He waited 15 years to be king of Judah, and another seven or eight years before he conquered Jerusalem and unified the nations as king. So almost 25 years from the time that Samuel anointed him as king for him to realize that anointing. Now obviously I hope that none of you have to wait decades or years 
for God to fulfill His promises for you. But sometimes we do. Everybody that's a parent, right? We all know the promise in Proverbs where it says, train up a child in the way they should go and when they're old, they will not depart from it. There are a lot of people in the body of Christ, a lot of parents that are standing on that promise and they've been standing on it for year after year after year after year after year and they're still standing on it, still holding on to it, still waiting on it. But we have encouragement in Scripture that we may have to wait. We may have to wait decades. We may have to wait multiple decades before we see God's promise fulfilled. But we have to hold on to that hope that He will answer His promise. And we hold on to that because He cannot lie and He cannot change. Let me give you a couple more verses that you can write down that tell us about that as well. We have Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 through 9. And Psalm 119, verses 142. 151 and 160. Okay, we're going to have to skip ahead a little bit because we're running out of time here. So, God cannot... He cannot lie. He cannot change. He cannot go against His Word. But here's the great encouraging one. God cannot abandon you. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20 says, Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is Jesus speaking. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. One of the worst feelings in the world is to feel abandoned. Right? There was a a scientific study done in in 2012 that found that children who experienced neglect were at an increased risk for diabetes, poor lung function, vision problems, and oral health problems. Another study done in 2016 found that children who had been maltreated or neglected exhibited change in their genes associated with various physical and psychological disorders, such as cancer, cardiovascular disease, immune disorders, schizophrenia, bipolar Disorder and depression because they were abandoned as children. God tells us in John, like we said, John chapter 3.16 says that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, right? But have everlasting life. Our God is a personal God. Now, so many people read John 3.16 and they see where it says God so loved the world. So they see, oh, well, God loves us as a group, right? They say, well, God, they sent Jesus, He sent Jesus to save mankind. But see, you have to understand that God loves you as an individual, not you as a group, right? Right? Let's look at Isaiah chapter 43. He's going he's to have it on the screen here because this is fascinating to me. Isaiah 43, 
verses 1 through 5. He's got it up there, you can see, but if you have your Bible, I encourage you to, to open it to that so you can see it for yourself. Me and Jonathan aren't just making this up, okay? It's, it's in your Bible too, right? It's not like I have a special edition signed copy of the Bible from the author or anything. We all have the same one, okay? Isaiah 43 verse, verse 1 says, And he, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Serba for your, in your place, since you were precious in my sight. You have been honored, and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east, and I will give you from the west. The word you is listed 23 times in five verses. Why? Because God loves you as an individual. I don't think you can make it any plainer than that. I don't think our pastor could get loud enough to make it any clearer than that. Right? God loves you. And He loves me. Now I'm sure some of you Bible scholars like Courtney up here saying, well, now that's the Old Testament. He's talking about Israel. Let's be, let's, let's not do no replacement theology where we don't replace Israel in the eyes of God. That's talking about Israel. Paul tells us in the New Testament that even as Gentiles, if we're, if we're in Christ, we're heirs of God and we're heirs of Abraham according to the promise. Right? We're grafted in with Israel. So that's just as applicable to us as it is to them. But, even if that doesn't satisfy you, Romans chapter 8, verse 38 through 40 says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Now see, we most people read that in the Old King James, or they read it in the New King James like we do here. And like I said before, we sanitize the Word of God. So we read this, and we think that this is like King James or Shakespeare talking. And, and I don't know about you guys, but I kind of put it in a British accent in my head when I read it. And... It sounds so proper. It sounds, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor principalities, nor powers can separate us from the love of God. Right? That's how we read it. But remember, Paul was a Hebrew. Right? Paul was a Pharisee. Paul, Paul knew this. He knew the law before Christ. Right? He knew that that was a chain around our neck instead of the freeing, delivering power of God that the Gospel is, right? So, when he wrote Romans, Paul was a passionate guy. He tells us that he wasn't very good as a public speaker. Paul, that is. So I guess that's one thing he and I have in common. But he says he was really good at writing, right? So, if we read this as Paul being passionate, he says, I am convinced that nothing, no created thing, no angel, no demon, no height, no depth, no distance, no, no water, no mountain, no ocean, nothing in the present, nothing in the come, nothing can separate us from Christ's love in us. And he probably added, I'll fight you over it if you tell me different. Because he was passionate about people understanding that God loves them, right? Too many of us think that, oh, I'm just, 
I'm just another cog in the machine of life. And, you know, God's so busy with world politics and, and making sure the sun comes up in the morning and making sure we get rain and making sure all this and that. And, and He's got all these more important people to worry about that God doesn't have time for little old me. I'm, I'm nobody special, right? How many times have you heard somebody say that? Well, I'm nobody special. But see, that's the thing. You are special to Him. The Bible says that He knows your name. He knows the number of hairs on your head. And that same God that knows you says, I have saved you. I have delivered you. I have healed you. I have accepted you. I will not abandon you. I will not turn my back on you. I will not forget about you. I will not ignore you. I will hear you. I will love you. But too many of us don't don't grasp that. And I don't know if I'm just getting sentimental in my old age or what, but it, it, it bothers me. It hurts me when I hear people talk like that. When I hear people say, well, God's too busy to hear my prayers. Well, you know, we, we do the deacon prayer, you know, on Sunday morning, and I don't know how many people come up for prayer because they think, well, well you know, deacons, they're, they're bigwigs in the church. Maybe God will hear their prayer because He's not, He doesn't have time to hear mine. Right? But I tell you, God loves each and every one of us as individuals. And He cares about each of us. That's why He gave each of us His Word. That's why He tells us time and time and time and time again in His Word who He is. He reminds us over and over and over and over again that He will not go against His Word, that He will not lie to us, He will not change what He's already said, He will not ignore us, He will not abandon us. Because He's he's the one solid, absolute thing that this universe has. is our God. Let me give you just a couple more verses as we're, we're running out of time. So a couple more verses for this. Psalm 94, 14. Philippians 1, 6. In Hebrews 13.5. Write those down. And then when you can't sleep tonight, you can think, hey, let's, let me see what that guy was talking about and see if he was uh, playing a trick on us or not. So stand with me and let's pray. I didn't say anything before, but if we could get a couple musicians up here to play real quick. You know, uh, can I be honest with you guys? Because are we are we in a judgment free area? Are we in the trust tree that I can I can trust you guys? Now, of course, I can't speak for any other uh, preachers or not, but for me, I have a tendency to uh, hesitate when I preach, because I'm you know I'm filling in for our pastor, obviously. So I have a tendency to hesitate to do an altar call because there's that little voice in the back of my head telling me that, well, nobody's going to come up if you do the altar call because they're going to wait for their pastor, right? Because you're just the fill-in guy. Uh, So 
generally, I'll be honest, generally I listen to that voice and I don't do an altar call. Uh, but I've, I've learned recently that regardless of, of how I feel about things, I need to make sure that everybody has an opportunity to come and receive prayer. Uh, if There may be some people here that, that don't know Jesus, right? There may be some people here that are unsaved. And if I let my awkward feelings prevent me from giving somebody the opportunity to receive Christ, that's a bad thing for me. So, regardless of how I feel about anything, right? It's 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 not about me anyway, right? So, I want to open the altar up. If you if you don't know Christ, if you if you're not saved, I encourage you to come and we'll we'll pray together. There there's no judgment here, right? The Bible says that all of heaven rejoices over one person that repents, right? So they get excited when somebody gets saved. We get excited when somebody gets saved. Nobody's pointing fingers at anybody, right? We we love that. Okay? So if if you're not saved, I encourage you come. We can fix that today. We can fix that right now. If at the beginning is talking about our our salvation is settled in heaven. It's done. Yours can be that way too. Right now. There, there's not there's not a waiting period. There's not uh, there's not a vesting period where you have to be in church for so long before God can fully save you. We can take care of it today. Okay? Now there may be some people that that say, you know, I'm not really sure. I think I'm saved. But I'm not positive. There's still a little bit of unknown. If, if that's you, please come. Because we can fix that today too. We can make sure that, that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know that it becomes a non-issue. You're, you're saved and you know it, right? We can fix that today too. Maybe you say, you know, I'm, I know I'm saved. I'm, uh, that hasn't, that's not a problem for me. But maybe there have been parts, promises from God in Scripture that you can be honest with yourself and you can say, you know what, I didn't, I didn't truly believe that this was true. You know, there are some parts that I just didn't quite wrap my brain around and just didn't quite put in the same category as salvation. And I want to fix that today. If that's you, please come. If, if you need anything at all, anything at all, come and let's pray. Let's let's talk to God together. Let's join our faith together. Let's let's make sure that as we leave this place today, we are where we need to be with Christ. Okay, so as as it, if you don't feel led to come, that's that's absolutely fine. I encourage you, please pray for those that do. If you want to come up and, and pray with them, where like I said, there's nothing special about me that that my prayer is any better than anybody else. Right? We should all be praying for one another. So if you see somebody up here, if, if God's calling, tugging on you, please come, lay your hands on them, pray with them. We'll pray together and, and let's let's make sure that as we leave this place today, we are where we need to be. Okay? So
God, you are so great. 